You're listening to the Chancellor Pink Podcast on Chancellor Pink Radio. What does it take to get you through? Hi, my name is Chancellor Pink. It's not my real name, but that's what it takes to get me through. Lying about my name on my podcast. Pretending I'm an alternative personality. Thank you. Good night. Beep. Clear. Clear. Okay, sorry. Flitzy, my cat just jumped off the couch terrified because I yelled clear. (laughs) That's years of being forced to watch ER with my ex-wife. Sorry, all the medical stuff plus rescue 911. Oh, my God. She was also a fan of that. Too much damn clear in my mind. (laughs) So I hear it and I yell it. But I was thinking I wanted to do a quick, very quick uh, podcast about this subject matter. What do you need to get by? What do you need to survive? Think about that. It's an interesting idea. Because, you know, you look at Facebook, which I don't have a Facebook anymore, thank God. But I... Occasionally, I have to. I have to be honest. I occasionally log on in a fraudulent or fake account, create one just to see what's up with some of my friends and family that I no longer follow on Facebook. And some of these people, I mean, I think it's amazing. Despite everything Zuckerman's done and all the fucking allegations and charges and ridiculousness that is that have come out about the information that. Facebook has peddled from private information from all of its users sold off and bastardized. It's amazing the shit people still share. Even under a quote-unquote private friends-only designation, um, what good's that? You're giving it to the site. A site that has already proven to you that they'll happily rape you of your information for the highest, you know, bitter I mean, that to me is tragic. But <clears throat> look, that's not why I got off of it. So that, ha- that shit happened just after I got off of it. <clears throat> I got off of uh, Facebook because I think it's incredibly depressing. It's just a, uh, it's a whorehouse of the psyche. People who are deeply disturbed, <laughs> pretending to be happy or... Happy, uh, but deeply in need of validation, post all the time on there. And they get very popular. And it's very um, disease-oriented, uh, the, the, the level of need that they have uh, for attention and for approval. And even the, even the level of chit chat that when you, someone could post a very innocuous, maybe even valid post that's nice to see, but then you watch the small talk between the people with their comments underneath it, and you just I do anyway I cringe, and and that word pathological comes to mind. But I know that's over the top, right? It's 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 way too far of a criticism to say it's disease spawned of pathology to have chit chat under a post but 
there's something about at least when you're in person and you make small ta- uh, small talk with someone at a church event or whatever, you could say to yourself, well, I had to. They were right there. But nobody's putting a gun to anyone's head and forcing them to leave a comment on a post on Facebook. And nobody's making you respond. You could ignore them or just hit the like button. But when you read the back and forth of the banalities, wow, you look so great. I sure looks like you had a good time. Thank you. Right back at you. I'm sure you have a great time and look great everything you do. Oh, no, you're the one who looks great and has a great time. Thanks. But no, it's really you. But thank you for saying it's me. Honestly, that's only a little bit of an exaggeration. That kind of stuff. I know a lot of people are fine with it because they think that's part of being alive and part of being human, but I'm just not fine with it. I just look at that and say, ew, ah, ah, I need to shower immediately. You know how in the scene in Jaws where Quint scratches his fingerprints down the chalkboard and shuts up that room of bickering people over how to deal with a shark? That's the way I feel every time I read a Facebook comment, or frankly, anytime I see most of the Facebook posts. But I don't get on there much anymore. And none of that shit save. Come on, your name, your friends, it's all being sold off. They make you sign off on everything. Do you really think, oh, they fixed it now, it's safe now? Really? <laughs> they didn't fix shit. It's not safe. And here's another thing I'll say while I'm on this subject. I was on MySpace back in the day, and it came along and became way more popular before Facebook. It really did. Now, I loved MySpace before I started making music. Now, I've made music my whole life, but I didn't start writing music as Chancellor Pink until 2006, January, in fact, when I bought some recording equipment. And uh, before I released my album in April of that year, 2006, I started posting it on MySpace. But before I went on MySpace and used the music players, yes, MySpace was great for musicians. I also loved MySpace just as a profile, as a personal communication vehicle. It was wonderful because it was wide open and everyone could talk to each other. Everywhere in the world, Europe, South America, you know, anywhere, Japan, there were literally users from all over the world openly communicating. And the way you had to talk to people was by posting on their timeline. You know how on Facebook you have a timeline and it's what your friends you've connected to post and one post after the other scrolls up? Well, that's not the way it worked on, on MySpace. MySpace, someone had to literally go to your timeline on your profile and post something. And then you would post under it or go to their profile. The communications, everything was revealed. And it wasn't so much about, oh, it's all out in the open. Let's all just hang our junk out there and let the wind blow it where it may. No, it was more about the fact that this is real. This is happening because it's not private. Because, and and if you really wanted to talk to someone Because everything was hanging out in the open, that's where you emailed. And boy, did I have deep, long, wonderful, meaningful email conversations on MySpace 
with friends that I still have to this day. And I'll tell you this, too. And if you're a friend of mine from MySpace, I'm sorry if this hurts to hear it, but you probably will agree with me. I haven't had that level of communication with my friends from MySpace since MySpace. I've lost some of the friends I had on MySpace, even though I went from MySpace to Facebook and carried those friends over. The friendships, some of them didn't survive the transference from MySpace to Facebook. And the ones who did, a lot of them, it just wasn't the same. When you went from MySpace to Facebook, things changed. And the people were the same, but now you saw their kids and their families, and now all of a sudden everything they posted publicly was whitewashed, you know, was dumbed down, was, was, was censored because their entire neighborhood was watching. Where on MySpace, things were wild and woolly and loose and shooting from the hip, and everybody was talented and artistic and creative and very frank and very open, and especially in email. And there's something about writing long letters and long discussions that is beautiful and deep, and it reaches a level of communication that you can't touch when you can write and read and share intimate, real subject matter. And I did that with so many people from around the world, not just the country, the world on MySpace. And I'll tell you this story. I met a girl on MySpace and we had some brief email communications. Years later, I saw a girl, same girl, on a different site. I did not recognize her from her pictures. I didn't put two and two together. We started talking. She remembered me from MySpace. She was a girl who I thought was out of my league, who I thought would never respond to me, who I thought was really intriguing. And when she responded on this other site after MySpace, I was so shocked. And I was like, wow. And she just started to communicate, and we started to hit it off. And it wasn't until later that she told me the only reason she responded she remembered me from MySpace. Now, what does that mean? It means the communication in the email on MySpace was so frank and real and cool that if you were a good writer and a good thinker and someone who was honest and open, you'd really hit home with people and make your mark. Now, why she didn't hit home with me and I didn't remember, I don't know. I can't say. But uh, it took me a while. And then I did remember her. I did remember her. And I remembered liking her, too. But it was her that remembered first. But the point is, she would have ignored me on the second site. And by the way, I carried on about a five-year in-person relationship with her after that fact, after finding her on the other site. Because of MySpace, because of the... And she used to say, like, oh, we've known each other for so long. You and I know, we go way back. She really held on to whatever I said to her on MySpace that I'd forgotten about. But it was so meaningful to her that she would use that as a reason to accept the, the myriad of bullshit I put her through. 
you know, the crap that was going on, whatever we engaged in a very tumultuous relationship thereafter. But I remember on more than one occasion saying, well, you and I know each other really well. We go way back. And it was all because of MySpace. So look, Facebook made it all about, you know, comments on posts in your feed. And it wasn't public. It was all private and locked down to friends and friends that you accepted. And it was a mutual acceptance. You had to send a friend request. Friend request had to be approved. And everything about it. And if you saw the movie, that was the idea of the site, the exclusivity. It was about being on Harvard and being connected and being private. That was the, that was the whole basis for the creation of the site was you had to be one of the cool kids. You had to be accepted. Well, think about that. It's disgusting. So people were joining Facebook like, I'm part of the cool kids. I got out of high school. I never wanted to look back. I couldn't stand the idea of having to belong to a clique or having to fit in or be approved. It was the worst thing about high school. I walked through seven years of higher education after high school without giving a fuck about that shit. I lived at home. I didn't live on campus. I would go out for classes, do my work, and get the fuck out of there. I had the people I liked, my friends, my family, my connections, and I kept school completely separate from that for seven years. Four years at Carnegie Mellon University and three years of law school. And I had nothing to do with all that class, click-oriented horseshit that goes on when you put a bunch of people together and they set up rules for the way social connection should work. Fuck that. Fuck that. And that's what Facebook was from the get-go. From its inception, it was high school personified. And MySpace wasn't. MySpace was beautiful and open and free MySpace was for artists because it was in the spirit of art. And if you wanted some more private communication, you would post what they called notes. And that would come up in the feed. And that was like being in someone's feed. If they followed you, they, you, they came, you come up on their notes. But you had to click on the note to see the conversation that took place inside. And that's the way it should be. Do you like what someone wrote? If you do, let's see what others have said. If you don't, move on. Facebook pulls up everybody's comments and everybody's thing, and it's like an open discussion. It's like a fucking gossip center. And so my point of all of this, and I really got off on a tangent there, but it was a good one. Thank you for listening. I'm glad. I miss MySpace in that day. It was it kicks it kicked Facebook's ass. It was a wonderful social media site. The only reason Facebook won was because MySpace catered to artists. And as we found out through four years of Trump and the continuation of American culture, America is about 50-50 on art. You know, it's split pretty much down the middle whether or not having emotion, having sensation, love, caring, Caring about music and painting and movies and, you know, just clothing and fashion. 
it's about 50-50. Half of America values that stuff. The other half think it's dumb bullshit and think we should all just eat burgers and wear hoodies and baseball caps and, you know, stick with our wives and kids and mow the lawn and vote for whoever might make us rich and play the lottery and, you know, listen to the top 40 songs only and, you know, cheer on movies that have happy endings. And that's, honestly, that is half of the country. And don't ask for taxes and don't make me care about my fellow man and whatever helps old America, white America, and on and on. That's half the country. The other half is, you know, I like new ideas. I like excitement and progression and and thoughts that are inventive and uh, change and, you know, thinking outside the box. But that's only half the country. And MySpace was pretty much 100% that half of the country, the cool half of the country. Because it wasn't even the country. It was international. It was the cool half of the world. It was the all of the cool world. But Facebook was a square peg in a round hole. Trying to fit in the cool people amongst the gossiper pricks that you ran away from when you escaped high school. And then, boom, next thing you know, who's asking to be your friend on Facebook? Your boss at work. Who you hate. <laughs> right? MySpace. You never saw your boss. Your boss wasn't going to get on MySpace. Did your boss make music or paint or whatever? Then they'd be on MySpace. And then it's like, dude, relax. I do what you do. We're all in this together. Pass the joint, which I don't like weed, by the way. Not my thing. I don't smoke it. But you know what I get. The point is, you know. Pass it on, you know, blah, blah, blah. We're all cool here. We all get this. We're all one family. It's a big party. Yeah, well, that's not the way it was on Facebook. Facebook, it was like, what did you do? I'm going to tell. Did you see what he just did? Oh, wow. Did he do that? Let's create a group and talk about it. Let's also create a group over here about January 6th, and let's create a QAnon group over here and let's tell everybody about what we think and let's make it be very crazy weird shit that has no basis in reality and let's call out anybody who dares to defy us in our delusions <laughs> so look Facebook is trash and if you're still on there I get it you, you know you have years and years of connections and everybody's on there and so that's why I sneak back on occasionally and do look at some people that I miss because, you know, how often do you really call a friend or even in your own family and hear about what's going on? And sure, it's easier to just click on a link and see what's going on. Shit that you didn't even know. I mean, I remember the years when I used to be on Facebook and my dad, who's still alive and kicking at 84, has, of course, never had a social media profile of any kind. I would tell him, oh, well, this is what's happening with this family member. And then your sister in New York... She's doing this. He was like, how would you know about my sister in New York? Because all he would do was like send her Christmas cards once a year, you know? Maybe talk to her a couple other times on the phone. And I'd be like, well, she posted this, these pictures from this vacation she went on with her husband last week, you know? Oh, well. And the only thing that stopped my dad probably from running onto Facebook and immediately creating a profile to stay connected you know, because that, that does matter to him more than he likes to let on. He's just becoming practically incompetent. 
about using the computer and the internet. It's very terrifying to him. You know, he used to call me a lot to help him. Now I think he's managed. He gets the handle on his emails and the few things he does online. He think he's got it down. So he doesn't need my help anymore because, you know, he also had Best Buy people. You know, he had a help. He paid for help service from them. And But it's, sometimes they confuse him. He'd still call me, you know. But we'd fight a lot. I'd be like, Dad, did you click that, click that? He was like, I don't see it. I don't see it. <laughs> don't you see a box that says, no, I don't see that box. <laughs> it was It was really funny. But the point is he finally got it together, and now he knows the seven things he does online. That's all he does. And that's all he's ever going to do, motherfuckers. <laughs> So he doesn't, you know, but you know, when I used to talk to him, like about his sister or somebody else on Facebook, he'd be like, oh, oh, really? Oh, oh. But you know what else he didn't understand, my dad? The pain. The pain that Facebook causes. And I know you know what I'm talking about if you've been on Facebook. Heartache from seeing what your sister did and didn't tell you about. What your mother did. What one of your children has said, how they don't respond to you when you talk to them, and how when you post something, someone you care about and love, a family member, a friend, what they ignored or what they said or didn't say, especially after you said something on something they post and then you posted something and they didn't say anything. All that crap. You know how it all goes. And it all got so exaggerated on Facebook because it's like so many social niceties on Facebook. So there became rules like, well, if you didn't like my post when I said something that was a little off color but valid, that means you don't agree with it. You don't agree with my somewhat off color but very valid comment? So you are embarrassed about me as your friend when I made a joke that maybe it was a little bit you know you're too afraid to laugh at it publicly because your other friends might not like one of the words I used or whatever that kind of shit you know it's so awkward and awful because think about it when you go out with a group of friends there's maybe four of you six of you you know everybody. You know what they like. And everybody keeps their conversation and discourse. Either if it's amongst everyone, they keep it within the realm that they know would be acceptable to that table. But then maybe they want to say something else and they lean over to the person next to them and they say something a little juicier or more detailed or whatever. The point is you're able to control who you're communicating with and you're aware of your audience. But on Facebook, everything is everybody without anybody really being cool or open or free like they were on MySpace. Suddenly, it's an all-out-in-the-open thing that's restricted. Suddenly, it's an open, out-there, hey, anyone can say anything, but there's censorship. And the other thing is you couldn't drop into private messages on Facebook and get to the bottom of shit that you couldn't say publicly. Because if you did, everybody on Facebook, when you went into messages, they were hypersensitive to, oh, oh, oh my God, this person sent me a message. Okay, so this is like, this is like, like deep shit or private shit. Whereas on MySpace, messages were where you just talked. You're like, now this is where we'll actually communicate. And now we'll actually write, like, 
five paragraphs and you'll write four paragraphs and I'll write six paragraphs and we'll actually have a back and forth in-depth communication and it was email so it wasn't back and forth real quick it wasn't texting see texting is like I be fine you I'm fine I'm a little sad why you letter you sad broke car down ugh you know it's just so animalistic no <laughs> my space was communication via writing sentences on facebook when you dropped into someone's messages it was like um make this fast because i feel really awkward reading this because like shouldn't you have just left this in the comments where like anyone can see what you're saying so now i feel a little bit like you're like finger me fingering me up my ass why you why you like try to put your tongue in my ear because you're like writing to me so could you like maybe just hurry it along and just stop this awkwardness? Because like I'm gonna try to respond, but I'm a little bit you know, squicked or weirded out. So please just hurry up. That was Facebook emailing or messaging. You know how weird it was? They created the Messenger app like right away. As soon as Facebook became more popular, MySpace started to die. It's like we need to create a Messenger app. Why? Nobody wants to write emails and actually express long thoughts. People just want to write three-letter blurbs to each other while they're driving. So we need to create a messenger app where people can communicate outside of publicly on Facebook, on the open pages, privately, yet with just pushing a few buttons while making a turn at 60 miles an hour. That's what happened, and that's what they did, and that's why people have died. <laughs> While Facebooking by the, you know, pickup truck full. And nobody has learned to communicate by using Facebook. But if you sneak back on there and you look and you see who's on there. What's happening? Oh, is it depressing? Oh, my God, the waves of depression that engulf you. Because you realize yet again how sick the world is because it's all about looking good feeling good competing everybody is so fucking competitive even with the people they allege to love even with the people they see all the time even with their own husband or wife or son or daughter or, or next door neighbor our best friend. The level of keeping up with the Joneses, that doesn't, that doesn't suffice to sum up the level of depression that you get when you look at Facebook nowadays. It's not just keeping up with the Joneses. It's fabricating the anti-Jones when you see something by the Joneses. And more importantly, it's just fabricating your own happiness. Nobody is allowed to be unhappy because everyone will see it and everyone will be mocked for it. I mean, there's just no ability to be real on Facebook. And when, so when you sneak back on there, not only do you see that, but you also see the way life passes you by. Because let's be honest, it's not just about the negativity and the lameness of the communication. 
It is also about the fact that other people do things that you haven't done and see things that you haven't seen and eat foods you haven't eaten and been to restaurants you haven't been to and had children you didn't have and love those children in a way you could never love anyone because you never had those children and on and on and on. And they don't necessarily just post it to shove it up your ass and make you jealous. They really are just sharing. I mean, certainly they can pretend that that's the basis for it. You can't really call them on trying to be mean. <laughs> They're just using their Facebook. But boy, when you look at sometimes what others have done, it, it really hammers home the limitations of your own existence. We all live our lives and wish we could do more and wonder if we have done enough. And... Imagine, for example, at work, any job you have, and you think you're doing a good job and you're doing your best and you're proud of your work. And then suddenly there's a site called Fellow Employees. And you log on to Fellow Employees and you've created an account. And this site allows you to anonymously, because it's not anonymous on Facebook, but people do this, Anyway, and it feels like it sneaks into your soul, like it's sneaking in a back door. So, so still bear with me on this example. It would be co-employees, but it would be anonymous. And you log on, and it's anonymous employees, or, or it's fellow employees, and it's anonymous. And you're able to see what your boss has said about everybody you work with. And you know what they've said about you. But you're also able to see what your fellow employees have said about you to each other. And imagine how awful that would be. Because we know the way people are when they talk. They very rarely say good things about others. Especially when they think it's all confidential. So imagine sort of like hacking the emails of your boss and all your fellow employees and your fellow employees of one another. And all the shit you'd see, not just about you, but about each other and about what the boss has said and about everything going on behind the scenes. And imagine how that would blow your mind about what was actually happening with you and your boss and with you at that workplace and with you and those employees. What you perceived as reality, what you banked on, what you were happy with, what you were satisfied with compared to what you found out was actually going on in everybody's minds. Trust me on this, it's never better. So Facebook is kind of like a reverse of that because it's all public and it's people putting it out there. But at the end of the day, it's never better than what you might imagine. People are always doing more and showing more and living more than you in, in the way that you would imagine. You can never do enough to feel happy with what you see from others on Facebook. They will always trump you. They will always make you feel like you're inferior. Because even if you have, like, let's say, 10 friends, and eight of them are exactly what you thought, and you beat them all with your travel and your food and your kids and your fun and everything you've done in your life in the past three months, absolutely beats the shit out of eight of your friends. There would always be those two friends. Who just made you feel like shit? Because they were in France 
and they went to Japan, and they're not married, and they're having all this sex with these really hot people, and they're showing them, and their kids are hugging them and love them, and your children are talking to you, and they have all this money, and you're broke and waiting on your next paycheck, and they're eating at some restaurant that's really only a half-hour drive from you, but you've never been able to go to because you don't have clothes that fit. Or can't imagine sitting there alone and you don't have a partner and they're sitting there with their significant other having a delicious meal and on and on and on. Just imagine those two fucking people ruined your life. You had a beautiful life. You thought your life was great. You saw those eight other friends. They just confirmed it. Your life was fucking aces. And then... You had to see all that fucking shit from those two other friends. Those motherfuckers. They just killed you. You're shit now. Your life is shit. And look, it isn't. And you could sit back and late at night go, at least I'm better than 80%. But you know what? You're not better than 100%. And now you know it. And look, I don't think any of that shit. I'm just saying that's the way Facebook works. I don't even get on Facebook because I don't want to beat 80%, 90%. I don't want to beat 100%. I don't care. So don't me, read me the wrong way. I'm not saying this as my perspective on the way it is. I'm saying that's the way it is. That's the way it works. And it's why it's so evil. Because even if you think it's about winning and you think you're winning, when you get on Facebook, you're losing. When you see everyone on Facebook, you're a loser. You're a loser from the get-go. So uh, I say, let's try to believe in ourselves regardless of what we see. Let's not put stock in ourselves based upon what others have said about themselves. Let's try, if we can, to reinvent ourselves with hope and art and spirit and intellect And you don't need to hashtag that. You don't need to send out a picture of a new poem you wrote or a new uh, painting you drew and then underneath it hashtag hope, art, intellect, spirit. You don't need to hashtag your, your ideals. You can just be them. When you hashtag, you're literally looking, begging, hoping for approval from others to come along and say, good poem, Good painting, good thoughts, nice, pretty kids. What a great family. I love Alec Baldwin's videos he makes on Instagram where he can just ramble on. But they're the only thing I love about following him because otherwise it's all these kids' pictures. And I have my own opinion about way too many kids at his old age with his way too young wife and all that crap. I just have opinions. But I don't want to be a judgmental prick, and I don't care about that. I have my opinions, but I don't care about it. I don't judge Alec Baldwin for for doing a bunch of things I disagree with, but I don't want to see it in my timeline. It really pisses me off that I have to see Alec Baldwin beg for approval. He's Alec fucking Baldwin. He's a famous movie star, a famous TV star. He's 64 now, I think. And still looks good, has a gorgeous wife, dude, you do not need my approval or anyone else's approval. I love his 
posts because they come from an open heart who wants approval. So I, I enjoy his, I mean, not his posts, his video posts because of that same neurotic, insecure person that makes him do all the other shit. But boy, do I don't like the other shit. I don't like his Twitter posts. I don't like his Instagram posts. I don't like his comments. When he gets involved in that insecure, I need approval, I need to connect with people in a way that makes me feel safer in my life way that is social media, he just becomes pathetic and just as ugly as anybody who is doing that shit to me and just as unattractive to me as the rest. But I ignore all of that because when he's just talking to me, and he's not, I know, he's talking to someone else he's trying to impress, someone else, I don't care about the psychosomatics of it all. When he makes one of his videos, I just enjoy it. And I think he's just a friend talking to me out at dinner, at a bar, uh, in my home, you know? I look at Alec Baldwin and I think I really relate to this guy. I really think like this guy. I really think we could be friends. I think he's super cool. And I, and I like the fact that he's famous. And I like the fact that he steps outside of his family life and his otherwise chaotic acting life and get, wants a private little getaway to talk to everybody. And I think in those moments, it's almost like you're his therapist, but I think it's more like you're a friend. And I really do think he talks to his audience as a friend on Instagram. Now, he drifts somewhat into preaching and somewhat into political, you know, I happen to agree with his politics, so I don't mind that. But, <laughs> I mean, there's a little bit of it that's affected and... um manipulative, but I think a vast majority of him, when he puts that camera on him and films an 11, 12, 15-minute uh, discussion like he does, I really think it's just, it's really like he was sitting there with you and you were his buddy. And I think, obviously, I don't, I don't know. I don't think he has enough buddies that he feels he can do that with. Or maybe he just is so neurotic and so needy that he does that. But whatever the reason... I love that him because it's him naked and stripped down and true and honest. And he's a cool guy. But all the other shit that he does on social media, I wish I could block it all. I don't want to see it. It undermines him to me. He's better than that. And I, and I really think that's what I... Stroking myself here before I sign off here. I think I make these podcasts... To talk to you as a friend, to talk to all of you as someone I care about and someone I, I, I don't even know, but I love. And uh, I do it as a way to connect, the, the way I see Alec Baldwin's videos on Instagram. But contrary to Alec Baldwin, I do precious little of the other shit. I only have an Instagram where I post very little. I have one follower, one of my sons. I have a Twitter, but I only have about 70 followers on there. I think about 30 of those accounts are spam or otherwise deleted accounts. I think I have like 35 legitimate people that follow me on Twitter. Um, I follow 500, but that's why I'm on Twitter, just to keep up with the news and see exciting things by sports and media and, you know, athletes. Well, I already said that. Uh, media, I already said that. News. Uh, famous people and uh, new and uh, news again. Why do I keep saying that? Okay, it's my it's my news. I, obviously, it's very late and I need to go to bed. I'm repeating myself and babbling on. But in defense of myself, I'm talking about Twitter and there's really not much to say other than babbling. But I do like Twitter because 
it keeps me connected. I feel connected. There's a lot of humor on there, too, and there's a lot of uh, mostly news and political information, mostly, I have to admit, but also celebrity shit. And anyway, I don't post much, and when I do, it's just me uh, being pathetic. It really is. I mean, I really should post nothing other than maybe this podcast to reach out, to show my soul, and to connect with people heart to heart. And it really doesn't matter how many people listen or don't listen. That's what this podcast has always been about from the beginning. It's an opportunity for me to share who I really am. And if people get it, they get it. And if they don't, they don't. I don't give a shit if you respond or review or, you know, I don't need to hear from you. I, it's about reaching out. And I know, I know how valuable it is to hear someone talking who's making sense to you. I know how good that feels, and I know how rare it is to find. To find someone who you view as intelligent and deep and sensitive and who's saying things that you thought but never heard anyone else say. I felt that when I read Dostoevsky, and believe me, I'm not comparing myself to Fyodor Dostoevsky, nor am I saying that I'm intelligent or all those qualities I named. I'm just saying I have it in me to share I have a calling, I have a craving to share thoughts and ideas via spoken word. I always have, always. And so to me, a podcast is a way to step into the void and hope I don't just drop down into the darkness. So I've been doing it now for, I think, two, three years, two and a half years, going on three. I think it'll be three years in January, something like that. And maybe it's already been three years. I have to go back and check. Maybe it's three and a half already. Maybe it'll be four years in January. Anyway, something like that. But the point is, it's not about building up a following. It's certainly not about making money. Uh, it's not about getting affirmation because I don't hear back. I think I have like two or three reviews on my uh, Apple uh, podcast thing. And I, I'm very grateful for the wonderful things that they wrote. And I'm very happy for them. But I openly accept horrible reviews and disgusting things written. I don't care. Uh, I, like I said, I probably read those reviews twice. I mean, I probably checked my reviews twice in the three or four years I've been doing this. This is really about uh, a need, uh, a calling in me. And... Um, yeah, so if anybody out there is hearing and listening and connecting, good. And if you're not, that's fine, too. If you shut me off halfway through or think I'm a, a, a know-it-all or get angry at me, that's fine. Um, I'm just trying to uh, share my thoughts on any subject matter. Recently, I've done a couple Steelers podcasts. Shit, I may continue that. I may turn this into a sports podcast for a while because that's something that I'm passionate about right now. Uh, very little else in terms of life. So I happen to be intrigued by the Steelers season. I think it's going to be intriguing. So I'm, I'm happy to share thoughts on that. And so maybe someone out there will listen. But this particular podcast, this particular podcast was really, really only about one thing. the lack of true communication and culture and the fact that social media should be and telephones, iPhones, you know, what's it called? Smartphones 
should be a wonderful avenue to deep and meaningful and ongoing and real vibrant communication between people. And too often, we step down from areas of truly exciting communication into safer, more regulated, more stifled and censored forms of communication where we all feel less pressure to maybe shine, but less ability to shine too. And I think the world is a better place when um, everybody's given the opportunity to be their highest level of them, not dumbed down to the same generalized form of men's amends them. I think it's better when people have an, a, a platform to truly be brilliant and different and not radical and crazy, not bullshit, lying, make up bullshit fuckos, okay? That's not what the inter- internet was built for, but an avenue to actually express yourself uh, about not factual things like politics or science or math or, you know, global warming, no. <laughs> but but things that are from your heart, like about love and meaning and you know, what's upsetting you about male-female interaction or what's beautiful about owning pets or you know what's what's exciting about travel not bragging about it not showing off about travel not flaunting it like people do on Facebook but truly looking you know to share the brilliance and the integrity of travel and the learning about culture you know like Anthony Bourdain did with his show before he died. I mean, that kind of um, that kind of expression of travel is communication with travel, travel and food and the arts as a form of communication, almost prayer, as a way to pray for one another, as a way to reach a spiritual and meaningful integration of multiple people, you know, into one, a communion of souls, right? That's to me what a podcast could be about. And I don't want to have interviews or intellectual discussions. They're all great. Look, I listen to all kinds of dumbass podcasts. But to me, I wanted something approaching like a brilliant lecture, like a TED lecture. And it doesn't have to be by a known scientist. They don't have to be vetted. It can be you or me. It can be a regular citizen who has something to say. Look at the patron saints of the Catholic Church. None of them were famous or noted people, personalities, yet Jesus somehow chose them, if you believe in that, as I do. But don't judge me for that, please. These are people that were reached by the the, the strongest portions of the faith of the Spirit, you know, to to speak out and to, they experienced these amazing miracles and they did these wondrous deeds. That's why they're saints. Why don't we have like tenfold of the same amount of saints because of something like a podcast, right? We have an opportunity for countless people now to share their vision, truly inspired vision. And I look, 
I'm not claiming I have. I'm not a saint. I know that. And I don't have some deeply inspired vision when I make these podcasts. But I will say this. I do have a calling. I do have a calling. And when I make these podcasts, I make them from that perspective. And I share them with the hope and the belief that I'm meant to share them. That I'm called to share them. And I don't pick up my phone and record one of these unless I'm feeling that way. I never fabricate or write down or concoct a message. I never think it's time for another one. Better record it. It's always spontaneous and it's always about reaching out. It's not about therapy or helping me ever. It's about sharing and reaching out with ideas that I think in that moment when I pick up my phone to record a Chancellor Pink podcast might reach you and help you. So please take these podcasts. Please listen to them. I'm begging you, please. <laughs> now, you don't have to listen to it, but if you do listen to them, please take them with that in mind that I do intend to reach you, help you, and if you don't, or just make you laugh, whatever. Whatever it is, and take it um, that way. And uh, if I fire you up or anger you, I apologize ahead of time, but I am an opinionated guy. And I'm not afraid to say what's on my mind. And sometimes it's a little bit uh, offensive to people who are more restrictive than me in their thought process or just plain old. They're right, and I'm offensive sometimes. I'm just offensive sometimes. I mean... He can't be perfect, you know. Sometimes I say things that are that I would prefer to take back. Sometimes I say things in a way that um, maybe I shouldn't have, you know. But, I mean, the bottom line is that's part of the calling too, right? You break that glass curtain. You break, break down the, um, the fear uh, that people have to be honest and open and to speak from a level of uh, not giving a fuck about the consequences, right? I mean, that is true freedom of speech. That is the true sharing of your thoughts when you don't hold back. Because even when you fuck up, you forgive yourself. Because at least you were trying. And, it, and if, as long as you're willing to admit you fucked up, that's really important, trust me. Because a lot of people don't do that. But as long as you're willing after the fact to say, yep, I fucked up with that, um... Look, I think it's beautiful that you tried. And um, long and short of it is I love you for listening. And I love me for recording this. And I think love is the key. I hope, I don't know what I'm going to call this episode because it's kind of like Facebook to, I mean, MySpace to Facebook. Ancient history. (laughs) Maybe that's what I'll call it. Because I picked up my phone thinking of something completely different. But once I got into MySpace history and Facebook, that was it, man. That was it. I had a lot to say on that. And I liked it. So I'm not deleting it. I'm not erasing it. I'm not refurbishing whatever my prior idea is. That idea is gone. Fuck it. I love you. I love you. I love you. God bless. Yabba da boopa.